You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back. I am Heather Caro. And I'm Teresa Curley. And we are your hosts this morning for Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's been a great morning. Uh, it was kind of a women's morning for the first hour, but the second hour we're totally switching gears. Totally switching gears, and I'm really excited. Teresa was hounding me to get Reed on the air, and I finally <laughs> called him, and I said, okay, Reed's going to need a full hour. Mm-hmm. And so, Reed Holiday, thank you for joining us this morning. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. So, uh, big stories... Um, and let's just start at the very beginning of who you are. Well, my name's Reed Holliday. Uh, I was brought up. I live now near Hazel, South Dakota, um, three and a half miles from where I grew up. Uh, I came from a good background. I was taught right from wrong. Uh, we are a good Catholic family. We went to Henry, the church. I had two older brothers, two younger sisters. And so... Um, yeah, I had a good upbringing. We were we were taught, you know, went mm-hmm. to catechisms, sister school, all that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I love it. I love it. So, how big of a town is Hazel? I think it's ninety-one people. Okay, <laughs> as of far as this morning, ninety-one. That's what I think. That's what it says on the sign. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love it. So, you grew up small town. Did you grow up like on a farm or a ranch or? Actually, I grew up on a even in a smaller town called Naples, which oh, is seven no miles kidding. from Hazel, <laughs> and we a small farm. And uh, yeah, m- mom didn't work; uh, she worked, but not like yeah. a, a job. Yeah, not a nine you know, to five. Dad was a a farmer, and he did whatever he could to make money. You know, to to feed the kids. And yeah, I hear that. Pay for everything it, it's necessary. Sure. So. You had a good upbringing. Where did it take a turn in your life? It took a turn as soon as I started drinking. And I started drinking about 14. Mm-hmm. because, And I say uh, that's where my spirituality began to slide backwards. Because mm-hmm. at 14, I'm, I'm drinking when I can. And, you know, I got to um, start lying to tell my folks where I'm going and what I'm doing. So it started with being dishonest. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this right now, the further I got away from my faith, the further I got away from knowing what was right, um, the more trouble I got into. And I remember the first time I got drunk, um, I, I drank a pitcher of red beer and I felt pretty good. And I also got a pint of whiskey. And I didn't know much about drinking whiskey. I drank it like I did beer. Mm. And so uh, I drank about a quarter of a pint of this whiskey straight. And I, I I call it my first spiritual experience because it was like everything changed and yet nothing changed. <laughs> but my attitude about life, it removed my fear from me. I'll say this too. I was sexually molested at a young age. And that affected me in ways, too, that I didn't know. And I need to honor what my dad said. He said, when you share that, when you talk, tell them that it wasn't anybody in our immediate family. Mm-hmm. It was someone else. <clears throat> but um, I think that played a part in my alcoholism, too. And I'm a, rem- a member of a 12-step recovery group. 
And I believe what I've heard some of the old-timers in this group say is that they believe people who become alcoholics and addicts have a greater desire for God than many other people do. And so then they try to fill this hole mm. that they feel in their soul because we really have a broken soul. Yeah. And so uh, we try to fill it with other things. So do you think the abuse is what led you to start drinking at 14? No, I just think it was something to do. You know, there ain't much to do out on the farm in, a, <laughs> yeah. in small towns like that. And snowballs. And, yeah. yeah. And it did. And, you know, and I, I got really drunk and I got really sick. And the first time I, I had sips here and there before that, but that was the first time I, I drank enough to feel the effects. And it, it's like um, I woke up the next morning with a terrible hangover. And I swore I was never going to do that again. But through this 12-step recovery program that I'm in, I learned some things that I did not know. And uh, what alcoholism really is, it's, it's a threefold disease. It's physical, it's spiritual, and it's emotional or mental. And the mental part of this is that when it comes to alcohol, this is what makes me an alcoholic, is I have a mental obsession. And I can have a handful of good ideas or good things that will come to me if I don't take a drink. And I can have, on the other hand, a handful of consequences that will come to me if I take a drink. But eventually this mental obsession that I have, and I like this definition for it, it's it's one thought that will overtake all other thoughts. Mm. And that one thought that overtakes all the other thoughts is how good it feels to have a couple of drinks. Mm. Yeah. And so then once I do that, take a drink, the physical part of alcoholism kicks in, which is I have an allergy to alcohol. And I never understood that because there would be times when I'd tell myself after work I was going to stop by the bar and just have two drinks. And I'd have them two drinks and there was no going home. So what this allergy is, it, it's allergy is an abnormal reaction to a substance. And so I don't break out in a rash. What happens for me, I get a crave, my body gets a craving inside mm. for more alcohol. And I never understood that. And the third part of this is spiritual. To overcome it, I believe I must have a spiritual experience, which I've had numerous ones of them along the way, uh, to help me recover from alcoholism. And when you have a spiritual experience, you go into another dimension in a relationship with God, which heals that broken soul. Right. Fills that hole. And um, so that's how I began drinking. And by the time I swore I was never going to drink again, but this physical allergy kicked in. And a few days later, after taking you this solemn oath, you might say, I made a decision I was going to drink every chance I could because it seemed like a solution to my problems. Mm. To the fear, loneliness, what, uh, not feeling good enough, you know. I realize today some of that is what we all go through as juveniles, but when you're a juvenile, I was comparing my insides to 
like say you're outside and you look like you had it together and I didn't have a clue. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is very distorted. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, I pursued it every chance I could. And I made it through high school, barely. Uh, after making it through high school, I didn't know what to do. I fell this gir- found this girl I fell in love with. And so then I thought, well, I'll go to the military. And what a decision that was. Because I'm, by now, I've already got an attitude. I don't like being told what to do. And I joined the military. <laughs> and guess what? They tell you everything to do and when to do it and how to do it. And so that went over well. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, that went over really well. And I was fine the first week of basic training until they took us to the PX and to get the haircut. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm there at the PX. I'm looking around. I see they sold beer. So I'm in basic training. I'm not supposed to go anywhere unescorted. And I'm sneaking out on weekends to go drink because I got this mental obsession, this form of mental illness, which uh, talks me into drinking. No matter what the circumstances are, it, you know, I want to have a drink. That's interesting. And so uh, I made it through basic training, and I went to my schooling, and I, I wanted to be a conservation officer or a wildlife biologist because I love the outdoors. So I, I signed up to be a military policeman, which was good. I went to Georgia for my training, and I learned it, and I liked it, and, and I came back, and... Uh, Went to my duty station, Fort Riley, Kansas, and when I got there now, as long as I made formation in the morning, then I I could pretty much drink all day, and by now I I had started... uh, How old are you by this time? I'm 19. Okay. I'm 19, and so this girl uh, that I fell in love with, I had got engaged to, she broke my heart, and and I was already becoming... uh, I was already becoming... um, um, violent biting and stuff and hurting myself and and so uh i wanted to go get this guy but i didn't have any leave time and i heard this speaker say one time that when he was drinking the solutions to his problems were often worse than his problems sure well that would be me Mm. and so i wanted to go get this guy and i didn't have any leave time so me and this guy i knew from back home uh we talked about it this one night in the bar when we're drinking, and we come up with a solution. I'm sure it's genius. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push pause on this, because we're going to take a break, Reed. Okay. So, Reed is uh, sharing with us his life story, and folks, you want to stay with us, because it's just getting started, uh, talking about how he first uh, got introduced to alcohol, and now he's in the military, 19 years old, and... Um, Coming up with a great plan at, at a bar. So we're going we're gonna to continue Reed's story right after this break, folks. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. 
SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risked that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, the Executive Director of Riverview Place in Fargo. The blessing of our foundation built on faith and our sense of fellowship strengthens our sense of safety, security, and community. This is what the region has come to rely on at Riverview Place for the past 35 years. We'd love to have you join us. Call 701-237-4700 to set up a tour today or check us out at homeishere.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. I'm Heather Caro. And I'm Teresa Curley. And you're listening to Real Presence Live. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're talking with Reed Holiday. And just for any of the parents out there, I probably should have said this before, but we are going to be talking about some very adult things here in our conversation for the next hour. Um, so if you have young children that you might not want to have them listen to um, this segment, we're going to be talking about alcoholism, and we're going to be talking about prison, jail, um, different things like that. So if you're not ready to have those conversations, uh, here's your disclaimer. But Reed, uh, you left us off. You were 19 and um, in a bar, and you were making plans with a friend. So let's continue from there. So I'd like to retract just a little bit sure. uh, because of this friend, and I was a blackout, passout drinker. I would drink and not know what happened and wake up in weird places. Uh, this uh, friend of mine one night, he came over to my barracks and he held out his hand. He had some white pills in it. I said, what are those? He said, if you take these, you'll be able to drink all night long. Oh. So I took these pills being a blackout, passout drinker. I thought that would be a good thing. So now back to this solution, we're sitting in this bar, and I'm a MP, I knew how to type, so they put me in a typing pool, typing up provost marshal's reports, and the provost marshal would be like a, a circuit court judge, kind of, for the post, where he, and so this was court documents, and the plan we came up with so I could leave and go look for this guy, because I wanted to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, we would break my finger, and then I wouldn't be able to type, and they'd give me an administrative leave because I wouldn't be able to do my job. Oh. So 
we get dropped off a couple blocks from the barracks, and I lay my finger out on the curve like that, and he stomps on it a couple times with his boots. <laughs> and, you know, I'm drunk, and I'm high, and I ain't feeling much pain. I look at my finger in my hand, and I think, that's not broke. So when we get back to the barracks, we got to do something a little more drastic. So I laid it over the edge of the pool table in the barracks, and he hit it as hard as he could with a cue stick. It's broke. It's hanging off the side. Um, and guess what? They still didn't give me an administrative leave. <laughs> so, so I had to come up with another idea, and this one was no better than the first. I, I went AWOL looking for this guy. And so I didn't find him after a couple of weeks, and I went back to the military, and I had to suffer some consequences, you know, for taking off some restrictions, and uh, I lost a third of my pay for three months. And and so as soon as I got off of that, um, I was downtown drinking again. And because I, I had a lot of anger in me about a lot of things, and I didn't realize this, some people, some uh, you could call them resentments, and I didn't know how to get rid of these. And so that I was, I just had a lot of anger. And so this one night, this guy came out of the bar, and I took my anger out on him, and I hurt him really seriously, and I ended up being thrown in the stockade, and and uh, where I, <clears throat> and so I'm in the stockade, and you know what? When I hit the stockade, I still believed in God, so I. I thought of God at this time in my life, like like the old guy Monty Hall it used to run. Let's make a deal, yeah. and I told God, "Get me out of this!" And I swear I'll, I'll turn my life around. I'll quit drinking. I'll quit drugging. I'll go back to church and I'll do the next right thing. And so after I sat there about a month, the feds took the case over, moved us to Topeka, Kansas, to a federal jail. We went before a judge. There was a couple of other guys with me that were involved too. And after uh, a couple of weeks, they let us out on our old PR uh, uh, on a PR bond. That means uh, we didn't have to put up any bond money. They bonded us back to the military. And what do you think's the first thing I did? No, it wasn't go to church. No, it was go back <laughs> go to, to the, the bar. bar because if nothing changes, nothing, nothing changes. changes. And so uh, um, I ended up getting three years federal probation back to the military and after about six months because I couldn't be promoted anymore because now I had a felony on my record and I'm a, an MP I can't be promoted I found a way to resign from the military yeah. and I came back to South Dakota here and I, was on, I had a federal probation officer and at that time there were maybe a, one or two maybe two or three probation officers for the whole state so all I had to do is send in a form, and, I, and I'm running around. I'm lying on this form. I had a job at times, but so, sometimes I didn't, and I'm just making stuff up. You know, that's where I'm at now with, with my... I had no spirituality at all anymore. And like I said, the further I keep moving away from God, the more trouble I'm getting into. And so I got busted on a drug charge, and uh, that got thrown out of court because someone stole the evidence before it got locked up. But... Uh, my PO heard about it, and he calls me in to his office, and he gave me an ultimatum. He said, uh, you can either go do three years in the federal penitentiary, or you can go to alcohol and drug treatment. Hmm. Well, that's a real no-brainer. You know, I have 30 days in treatment. It's a lot easier than three years in, 
mm-hmm. in prison. So I chose that. And when, but when I got to that treatment program, I didn't listen to anything they said. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a, and I didn't, I wouldn't do anything they did because I was so obstinate. And there's a quote by this English guy named Herbert Spencer, which, which really sums up my attitude at the time, and I'd like to read that to you. It said, There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. <laughs> it really says, I'm a knucklehead, and I'm going to do things my way, and I don't care what you have to say. It's my way or the highway. Right. I know best. <laughs> yeah. My life. I'm going to run it. Right. Oh, gosh. I got myself into so much trouble that way. So anyway, I, 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 I smoked pot in this treatment program and everything else, and I got out in the first, if nothing changes, I get out of the treatment program, I get myself some beer and some drugs, and it's off to the races again. That ended about a year later, and I'm headed, headed up to the penitentiary, Granite City here in Sioux Falls for the first time. And I get up there, and I gave it a little thought, and I figured out what my problem was. I got caught. That was my problem. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... uh yeah, so I hung out with the older cons and that kind of stuff, and I figured out by now I didn't want to work if I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So I figured out I'll learn how to be a better crook and a drug dealer and whatever, and so I, I get through my time here, and I had absconded on a bail in Nebraska, so when I got done here, I had to go do some time in Nebraska too. Mm-hmm. And I get out of prison in Nebraska, and someone came to pick me up, and What's the first thing I do? I go get me a 12-pack of beer and, and had some stuff to smoke, and it's back to Sioux Falls. And I get here to Sioux Falls, and I'm pretty loopy already, and I plan on drinking for three, four days a week, whatever. So I called this guy that I figured would have some amphetamines and stuff, and sure enough, he did. And I need to say this, that I used to hang out with this guy, him and his brother, and those are those are two guys I swore would never sober up. Well, when I got out of prison, they were both sober, too. Really? Yeah, both of them had sobered up as, as well. And so uh, all went well for about a month, and I got busted for illegal prescriptions for common doctors. And I hired a hotshot attorney, and he found a loophole in the law that said... Um, if you're a first-time drug offender, you should be given drug treatment. So now I'm going to my second <laughs> treatment <laughs> program. And this was in Minneapolis, and I'm dummying up a little bit. I figured out I couldn't smoke pot. I mean, I couldn't drink because I get violent, and I, I didn't want to do the hard stuff because it gets too expensive, and I knew I'd be go back to the c- criminal lifestyle. So... I was going to do what we laughingly call the marijuana maintenance program. I was just going to smoke marijuana. That worked really well (laughs) for about four to six weeks. And then Bob Seeger was playing in town this one night, and I went over to get my bag, and this guy would always cut out some lines on the mirror and ask me if I wanted to do them. And I'd tell him no, and I'd grab my bag, and out the door I'd go. But this night, my mind told me a lie, and I believed it. And it told me, this time it'll be different. This time you won't spend all your money, you won't hurt the people around you, you won't be broke. All these things, you won't get into trouble. 
So I did those two lines, and we lived about 10 minutes apart. Before I got halfway home, all my plans changed. I went home, got the money I'd saved from work, and went about all I could because now my my addiction is fully activated again. And what ended that 22 months later were the infamous words, all rise. That's what the bailiff says when the judge is entering the court. So in court again. This time I got busted at the white exit north of Brookings going to Watertown to do a drug deal. I bonded out and, and nine days later I got busted in Sioux Falls again for a drug possession. And so after that I became desperate for money and I let a guy convince me to go do an armed robbery with him. And I went and did this armed robbery. And <clears throat> we got away with it. Uh, sometime later, one of the guys, that, there were two guys that went with me. One of them got busted on a burglary. And he told about the robbery to get out of jail on the burglary. And I, I was really mad at this guy. I wanted to hurt this guy too. But overall, I got to thank him because... There is no recovery without me being responsible for my actions. Mm. And in a sense, he held me responsible. Mm. So, um, I mean, I, got, I went to a jury trial, got convicted of the little habitual offender, sentenced to four and a half years in prison. And after I was there, about 30 days, they came and filed the charges on me for this armed robbery. I filed for a fast and speedy trial. It went about six months, and they dismissed that case. Uh, another six months went by, and I plea bargained in Brookings County. I, they had four drug possessions on me. They said they had dropped two and dropped the habitual offender again if I'd plead guilty. So I pled guilty. So now I got two more 18-month sentences. Well, what they were doing, they were really setting me up. So I get about two years in prison, and I managed to stay out of trouble trouble for a little bit and they gave me trustee and they sent me out to the west farm and I, I, which is a a much less um security level mm. and i was out there six months and then uh, one day they call uh, up and they say uh, they recharge i was about a hundred days short of my parole date when they recharged me and they put me back behind the walls folks if you're just tuning in we're talking with reed holiday and Yes, this story does get better. <laughs> right now, we are building um, what Reed's life was like at this time. How old do you think you were at this time, Reed? I think, let's see, I think I was 29, 30 years old. Okay. About 30. So, a life very sorted up to this point. Um, and so, we're going to take a quick break, Reed, and when we come back... We're going to finish it up and then kind of we'll, we'll start talking about your transformation. We'll get into the we'll good stuff. We'll get into the good stuff. So it is all just amazing story. So folks, stay with us. More Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. 
All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. I'm Heather Carroll. And I'm Teresa Curley. And we are broadcasting this morning from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us. We're having a, I I don't want to say it's a great conversation, but Reed Holiday is sharing his life with us listeners this morning. And um, just to recap, a lot of mayhem, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of getting caught, a lot of bad ideas. (laughs) Have I covered it, Reed? (laughs) That's pretty much surmise, is it? Good surmise. (laughs) A lot of bad decisions. So, if you'll continue with your story. (laughs) The, The more I got my own way, the less I had. The more I got in trouble. The further I got away from God, the more trouble I got into. And when you think it can't get any worse, it did. At this point, I'm just like sitting here, oh my goodness, you're in prison. Yeah, and so they they sent me back inside, and they recharged me with that armed robbery. I was about 100 days short of parole. And like I said, they were setting me up. So they they come to me now then, and they had, well, they had me charged with the big habitual offender. I had already received the little habitual offender, when they increased the sentence from a possible two years to five years, I got four and a half years on the drug charge. Then I got two more 18-month sentences. So now uh, they come and offered me a 10-year plea bargain. And they said, well, start your time from right now. And I said, that's not good enough. I mean, I've been sitting here this whole time. Uh, you, you got you got to, I need to get some credit for this. And they so they, they, they talked and they come back and they, I got a phone call from my attorney, and he said, they'll give you nine years, and they'll start your time right now. And I said, okay. 
So then I went back to my cell that night, and I got high, and I got to thinking about this, and I got really mad. I got what um, I know today is a resentment. Mm. And I couldn't wait to get out of my cell to call that attorney back in the next morning, and I did, and I told him, tell him to stick that plea bargain. He said, well, if I do that, you're the one that's going to get stuck because they're going to give you life without parole. And I had some flippant remark for him about I'll give him the change back on what I can't do or something like that. I mm -hmm. thought that sounded cool. And so uh, <clears throat> we go to a jury trial, and I'm convicted. Then there's a hearing on the habitual offender, and you have no defense against it. They just look at your record, and if you got three felonies or more, you, they can give you the big habitual offender, which means no matter what your felony is, they can enhance it to a class one, which is you can get life without parole or anything less. And so uh, my attorney says to me, let's plead guilty to this. Maybe they'll show you a little mercy. Maybe they'll only send you to 40 or 50 years. <laughs> That's mercy. And so I said, okay, that sounds okay. So we go in and I plead guilty. And the judge makes a statement before he sentenced me. And he says, Mr. Holliday, you're a career criminal. You're a hopeless case. You can't and won't change. Therefore, I sentence you to life without parole. Hmm. And when he told me that, I kind of just went like numb. Yeah. And I stayed that way for a couple of weeks. And I... I I think today what that was is it was the anger in me. I had so much anger, and I, I wanted to hurt the people that put me in that position, not wanting to look at my part in this. You know, mm. I, I wanted to blame somebody else when really it was my fault. I was in that position all the way through, mm. and so um, I started doing this life sentence and. Shortly after that, it uh, I got a attitude. I remember when I got my commitment papers. And on there, it'll mention your crime, and it'll mention your parole date, and it'll mention your discharge date if you do your whole sentence. And on mine, it listed the armed robbery, two different counts, habitual offender, and then it said parole date, it said none, and oh. discharge date, it said death. Mm -hmm. That's when it really sunk in. And so... Uh, I got in more trouble in prison. I assaulted a guy. I was dealing drugs, and uh, I went through the hole a couple of times, and one time for six months for assaulting another inmate. And I'm sitting in the hole that last time, and I'm thinking, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And the only solution I could think of was transfer to a different prison. So I transferred to this other prison, Stillwater, Minnesota, which is a double maximum security. And I, the way I got to transfer, I lied, and I told them I had immediate family over there that would come visit me. Mm. And so I got over there, and I thought, I can do some easy time here. They don't know me here, so I'm going to stay away from the drugs and everything else, and I'm just going to mm. go to state straight and narrow. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> if nothing changes, nothing changes. You hear me say that because it's so true. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 60 days goes by, and I'm in the same thing again. So then about uh, three and a half years go by, and I decide I'm, I want to quit. And I've been in prison now eight years. And so I try everything I possibly can to quit, and nothing is working. To quit your drugs? Quit the drugs, yeah. 
And so I'm talking to this other lifer this one day, and I think I went to talk to him because I know he was an oddball. <laughs> and by now I'm in a outlaw prison gang. And uh, this guy seemed around the cell hall, and he had a smile on his face most of the time, and he was upbeat, and I thought, there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> so I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> and his time, I know, is not affecting him like my time is affecting me. Sure. And so I go talk to him, and I tell him how hopelessly and helplessly addicted I am, how I want to quit, and how nothing works. And then he shared his part of his story with me, and he's, he told me how he had a real problem with anger and rage. And, and, uh, but he had learned, since learned to pray, and God will take it. And he told me how one day a guard got in his face. He was in there for armed robbery. He had a 40-year sentence. And a guard got in his face, and he stabbed him so many times with a ballpoint pen that gave him life without parole. But mm -hmm. since then, he had learned to give his anger to God. And when he told me that, I, I just wanted to laugh at him, and I inwardly scoffed, and I thought, yeah, that is just, I don't believe that at all, because by now, I'm someplace between an atheist and an agnostic. I'd move in so far away from God. Mm -hmm. But that stuck in my mind. And I can't tell you if it was two days or two weeks later, but I can remember the day. It was New Year's Day night of 1988. That night I went into my cell after being high all day, after threatening another inmate and robbing him. I went into my cell and I said this prayer to God that I didn't believe in anymore. And I told him how hopelessly and helplessly addicted I was, how I wanted to quit. Nothing worked. And I could remember the Hail Mary and I could remember the Our Fathers, I said two of each of them. And I went to bed. Next morning, it, was, it wasn't different than any other morning. The guys in this outlaw gang that I'm in, they came by and they said, come on, Doc, let's go get high. And I said, no, I ain't going to get high today. And they just laughed at me because they had heard me say this many times over the previous six months. And then I'd follow them right down there and get high. But when I said that that morning, something strange and wonderful happened. I felt a peace come over me, and it felt like a huge weight was lifted from my shoulders. And there's absolutely no desire to get high. It's just gone. If I walked out of here today and got struck by lightning, it would be less dramatic than what happened that morning. And it's like over the course of the next two or three days, and I tried to lie to myself. And tell myself that this wasn't a God thing. But I knew it was. I knew it was because I had sent those prayers. That's the only thing I had done different. And at that point, God put a burning desire in my heart to know him better. And so, like, I'm in this outlaw gang. And I'm afraid to go to church. I'm afraid. I've been walking by the chapel for three and a half years and never been in the chapel. And I'm afraid to walk into the chapel because what will that do to my convict image? And so I had signed up for this treatment program nine months before this. And I had signed up for it because I had been busted so many times by drugs in the institution. I couldn't have a contact visit. And that was the easiest way to smuggle drugs into the institution. But they said if you, went to, if you completed this 90-day treatment, they, you could probably get your contact visits back. So I had to be interviewed. And I went over to try to get in this treatment program. And they said, why? Why do you want to get in this treatment program? You're serving life. You're never going to get out. And I lied to him. I told him, you know, I think I can have a better life here if, I, if I'm sober. Yeah. Little did I know 
how truthful that would be. So there was like a 90-day waiting period. So I wait the first 90 days, and they send me a letter to go to the treatment. I tell them, no, I'm not ready to go. So they put it off another 90 days, and that same thing it comes up again. I tell them the same thing. So another 90 days. Now it's almost Christmas time. I'm supposed to go, and I'm prepared. So I figure if I don't go now, they're not going to let me go. Three strikes, you're out, kind of, you know. And I get a letter from them then that saying then they're going to continue me until February. God works in mysterious ways, and his, his timing is perfect because shortly after this, then on January 2nd of 88, I get up and I have this spiritual experience. Had I not had that first, I, that treatment would have, would have been a waste of time. And so um, I hit that treatment program. But before that, I started reading this book. It told me about the 12 steps. And, and uh, I'm reading that, and I didn't like what it had to say. And it told me I had to turn my will and my life over to care of God. And that step scared the heck out of me. Yeah. And think about that, how crazy that is. <clears throat> my best thinking got me life without parole, and I'm worried about what God's will might be for me. <laughs> That's a total insanity. And then it told me I had to do an inventory, of, and I'm supposed to go back through my life and look at everything I did wrong and tell somebody about this. Both that step four and step five, that scared me too. And then one other thing, it said, love and tolerance is our code. I meant I had to be nice to people, and I didn't like anybody, <laughs> not that. even myself. Well, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Reed Holiday. He is sharing his life story with us. Um, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. The conclusion of Reed Holiday's story and how he is here. He was sentenced to life in prison. And yet, folks, he's sitting here. And so he's going to share with us next how that happened. We'll be right back with more Real Presence Live right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA, or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our planned giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Hello, this is Father Timothy Lang from the Diocese of Duluth. I just want to say a few words to any young men who might be thinking about being a priest. You know, there's this three truths that God made you. He made you for a purpose and you'll be most happy doing his purpose. And so whoever we are, young or old, men or women, if we're asking what God wants for us, don't be afraid. And don't be afraid, especially if you're a young man or maybe not so young man, thinking about what God might be calling you to do. Don't be afraid to give God the first chance. You won't be disappointed and you won't be outdone in generosity. I've been a priest for about two and a half years and I 
like to say I've hardly worked a day of my life in the sense that it's so joyful doing what God has called us to do. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us into all truth, and that he might reveal to us just the next little step that God has in his plan for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Tracy Barnes from the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City, South Dakota. Thank you for listening to Real Presence Radio. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back. I'm Heather Carroll. I'm Teresa Curley. And we're talking with Reed Holiday today. Uh, we are in his life story. If you've missed any of it, we will po- post it up on our podcast later today. So check out realpresenceradio.com. But we're going to skip ahead because we've only got a few minutes left of our time with Reed. And he's just getting to the point where he's entering um, treatment, 90-day treatment for drug abuse. So we'll let you start from there. So I went into that treatment program then, and uh, I actually failed. Uh, I didn't want to do these, uh, take these spiritual principles to heart, and so um, I used again on the 19th and 20th of January, and I'm glad I did because what it taught me is I had to change everything in my life. And as I changed things in my life, other things began to happen. I prayed one day about direction, about whether I should try to transfer back to Sioux Falls, uh, to be closer to my family or witness to the guys in Stillwater. And I said this prayer two days in a row, and the third day I was transferred back. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Now, is that odd or is that God? <laughs> I think that's God. Yeah. And so I get back and I get involved with a group called COPE. Because after I did that fifth step, and I say this, uh, when I was doing that fifth step, I, I cried through the whole thing. And I know as I was getting the bad out, God was entering in, and he began to speak to my heart. And he told me, I want you to work with kids. I want you to work with elderly. He said, I'm going to use you as a role model. And all this stuff just scared the heck out of me. And he he said, I want you to read the scriptures in Mass. So I started going back. I was, by now I'd gone gone back to Mass and started reading the Bible and, and doing Bible studies. And I got transferred back to South Dakota, like I said, and I got involved with this group called cope and got involved with the more with a 12-step group and uh, so there's a there was a conference and uh, me and two other guys were allowed to go to this conference outside the walls and i think it's the only invite that this group ever had to an outside meeting and it happened to be the spring conference of 1989 in aberdeen all three of us were supposed to talk a little bit and there was only uh time for one of us so we drew sticks of gum to see who got to speak (laughs) i got the stick of gum so i get up there and i tell them about what i'm learning and uh thanking them for coming in and about my spiritual experience and then there's some more speakers and this is how god worked in my life all these miracles so this guy comes up to talk to me he said if there's anything i can do for you just let me know i said well i'm going to see the board pardons and paroles like let's see if i get my life sentence commuted I said, you could write a letter if you feel comfortable with it. He says, oh, I'll uh, call Gary Colbath. He's a personal friend of mine. And well, this Gary Colbath was an attorney who just happened to be the chairman of the Board of Pardons and Paroles. Wow. I see the guy the next day, then he tells me, too. He says, I, I've been thinking, and I don't know the guy who makes all the, the decisions in this state, but I know somebody who does, and that's Walter Dale Miller, the lieutenant governor, and I'll talk to him, too. 
So there was this guy named Delbert Peterson that I played cops and robbers with. He was a 44-year veteran <laughs> of the police in South Dakota. <clears throat> he hears about my changes, get me out to talk at the schools in Hamlin County where I'm from. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's so moved, he calls all the parole board members asking them to commute my sentence. And so I'm staying active, and I see the board, and they recommend my life sentence get commuted to 75 years. And then the governor signed it 18 months, 17, 18 months later. Now, that might not seem like a break, but in, instead of looking in, into a cave, now there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And so I'm, <coughs> excuse me, I'm doing all this service work, and eventually um, uh, they gave me trustee. Twice I was, uh, once I was recommended to have my sentence commuted to 40 years. Someone called Crime Stoppers, and they rescinded their recommendation. Uh, some years later, they gave me trustee. I was never supposed to have trustee until I, I saw the parole board. I was never supposed to have work release, and yet they end up giving me trustee. They gave me work release. Um, I was released on parole from prison I think 14 years before I was eligible for parole, I never saw the parole board at all. Uh, I was released from my parole 17 years early, after I was out five and a half years. I am currently out of, February 1st was 23 years I've been out of prison, I've been sober for 34 years, by the <laughs> grace of God. Uh, and. Uh, Thank God for God, because that's the only way. <laughs> yeah. He saved me from myself, because my best thinking took me to places I thought I'd never go. Yeah. And I did things that I thought I'd never do. Um, so if there's anybody out there that thinks you're in a hopeless situation, you're not. But it does mean you have to turn your will and your life over to care God. But that can be a God of how you understand him. It doesn't have to be my God. But if what you're doing doesn't work for you, there's 12-step recovery programs that can help you do this. Because I could not do it on my own. Even though God blessed me mightily the way he did, I still needed the help of others. And I'm very active today helping other people sober up too. And it didn't happen overnight. My freedom? Well, no. You're, you're handing yourself over to God. That wasn't an overnight thing. That, that was... It's a process. Yes. And that's what I want to get across is because it seems a little daunting, you know, that you are so active and so involved in all of these different things, but it was a process. It took years to get to where you are. I, w I think, I think they could have released me after one year, but, uh, I think I could have made it out here, but uh, when I turned my will and my life over, I had a counselor tell me in prison, she said, you got to expect to be used where you are at, and God said he was going to use me as a role model, and he used me as a role model in prison, too, and when my sentence, the guy that came up to me and said, I'm going to try to get you out, this prison official, he said, I want to send a message to other long-timers like you that if they turn their lives around, there's a chance they can get out too. Because he said, I think they have no hope. That's why they keep getting in all this trouble. Mm -hmm. And so uh, God's grace is very, very powerful. Uh, his mercy too. Um, mercy 
gave me another chance. Grace gave me a new life. And I try to do whatever I can to help others. You know, because I still know today, I don't always know what I need on a daily basis, but when I help somebody else, God always gives me what I need. Mm -hmm. Service work, whether that's helping the little old lady down the road that needs her driveway shoveled, or if that's helping an alcoholic or an addict or whoever, you know. But God, there's a promise I love that says, uh, if I stay close to him and perform his work well, he'll take care of my every need. Amen. Amen. And I'm a student of the Bible. I've been studying it ever since, uh, and I try to practice it to the best of my ability. I'm a, I go to church every every Saturday or Sunday, and uh, if you know me for very long at all, you're going to hear about God. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Reed, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. We appreciate it. You are welcome. We're going to have to have you come back and talk more about uh, just alcoholism and how to how to work through it and how to help others. I would love to do that. I would love to have you back, but thank you for sharing your life with us today. And share more of the miracles that he, he, did, he has done for me. We ran out of time. I gave us an hour and it still ran out of time, but there is hope. So thank you for that, Reed. I don't believe there's any hopeless cases. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, if you've missed uh, any of Reed's story, you can always go to realpresenceradio.com. We will post the podcast later today, and we'll have Reed back. Mm -hmm. Just fascinating. And I love the hope. I absolutely love the hope. So, folks, we have another great show lined up for tomorrow. Therese, or Therese, I was going to say Teresa, Therese, (laughs) can you share with us what we have going on tomorrow? Yeah, so on the next Real Presence Live tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Mark Holcraft is your host, coming to you live from the Fargo studio. Father Jeff Epler from the Diocese of Fargo will be on to explain the 40 hours devotion. Then Jessica Foley will share her experience of discerning the Lord's will in adoration. And Father Bob Schreiner from the Diocese of Crookston, will be on to discuss inspiring faith in the Eucharist in parishes. All that and much more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That's Wednesday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. All right. Thanks, Therese. Mm -hmm. All right. So another great show. I love adoration. Can't, uh, it's going to be a great show. I'm going to have to listen to that one. So, uh, folks, thanks for uh, tuning in today. It's been a great show. We started off with uh, women's Bible studies. Um, If you wanted to check those out, uh, don't forget that you can always go to that website. It was called Walking with Purpose. Walking with Purpose. I'll get it out. Walkingwithpurpose.com. And then we had an hour with Reed Holiday. And if you missed any of his story, be sure to check it out on realpresenceradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts or on our free app or, or, or. So, Teresa, great show this morning. Yeah. Like, I have no words, but thanks be to God. I like, can see I can see your wheels are just turning yeah, over Yeah, like, there. I mean, I was sitting here crying for much of it. Yeah. So, Reed's yeah. story was absolutely amazing. And... My favorite part of it was the hope. Mm. None of us are hopeless causes. Mm. So that is just 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So folks, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate you allowing us into your homes, workplaces, cars, wherever you might be. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we will see you tomorrow. God bless. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.